0: All right, so I guess um, we're continuing a series that we have been a part of. And um, the topic that I guess we're talking about today is the breastplate of righteousness. And what does that mean for us? And I firstly want to start off by um, reading Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, which um, is speaking about what we're talking about today. It's talking about the armor of God, okay? So from verse 10, it starts and says, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So I know we're talking about the blessed breastplate of righteousness, but I also want to speak on another part of this um, verse to begin with, and that's who we are actually fighting against. Um, and I think as Christians, we need to recognize that we live in a very dangerous world. In a world that is not against flesh and blood, like this verse said, but against Satan and um, his followers. You know, there are all kinds of evil that is engraved in our everyday culture these days. In this world, we are very vulnerable without the full armor of God being on. We're not so vulnerable that we can lose our salvation, but we can certainly lose the battle for being useful for Christ on earth. John 10 29 says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. If you belong to Christ you cannot be snatched away by Satan no matter how powerful Satan is or can be. Satan cannot overpower God and yet we can fall into sin that makes us useless, it can make us joyless and it can bring us under strong discipline as well. We will not lose the war. Ultimately, the war will not be lost, but we can lose battles along the journey, along the way. And I want to highlight verse 12 in in that section where it says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. The authorities, against the power of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of the evil in this heavenly realm. As I said, we need to understand who the enemy is. And a little bit of structure in that sense is that the enemy um, or evil has a hierarchy system because I guess it first began when God created angels and he created angels to be different with differences because not all angels are the same. There are cherubim, there are seraphim, there are angels, there are archangels um, which are above normal angels, there are super angels and super archangels like Michael, Gabriel and also Lucifer and when Satan actually fell he fell and he took a third of the rest of the angels with him so when Satan did fall and the rest of the angels fell with him their abilities and their powers remained with them but they remained in a sinful condition after they fell from heaven. So as we know, Satan is the leader of all the demons and he has more power than the rest of his um, followings. Hence why there is a hierarchy among Satan and the rest of his demons. And I guess on the flip side of things as well, angels have their own hierarchy too. Uh, But they're not in a fallen state like the demons are. Um, They operate in harmony and they operate in a holy manner together. But that's kind of a picture of who we are fighting against in that verse. Um, and I guess it's why we teach that nothing can be done through our own strength because the enemy is 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 strong. The enemy has lots of following and the enemy does not stop operating on a daily basis. And don't be foolish because Satan is actually crafty. And I think sometimes we, we, we tend to have this thought that, you know, countries where the gospel cannot be preached legally um, that Satan is succeeding in those countries. You know, we can look at some of the the countries out there where it's illegal to preach the gospel and we can say, you know what, Satan is succeeding there because the gospel can't be preached. But Satan operates in both that country and in the country where the gospel can be preached the same. And in fact, Satan's biggest attack on Christians living in first world countries is contentment. Because Satan can still operate within our churches. You know, when when you look at some of the the third world countries where the gospel can't be preached out there, they only have two options, which is it's either you're with Christ or you're not with Christ. There is no that middle ground. There is no gray areas. It's purely Christ or not Christ. There has to be a decision that is made. But then when you come to first world countries, there is that gray area. Where we can operate you know we can satan can really use the contentment of our lives um, in first world countries you know you can be content within the church itself through your ministries you can be content through your addictions content through your passiveness about sin um and satan operates strategically in first world countries just as he does in third world countries in fact in every country Satan operates based on culture and the people living within them. And if we bring it home, if we bring it really close, there is a strong attack on churches about how people feel, where we live in a society that is so based on what feels right to me, where right and wrong don't skew too far away from each other. And just because we live in a country that allows this freedom to believe whatever you want, that doesn't mean that Satan is not operating. He is. And this is why we must approach this topic with a a great deal of seriousness. Like in verse 11, it says, put on the full armor of God, the full armor of God. Just like soldiers who go out to battle every day, you must also put on the armor every day. It's the way we resist the devil and his evil schemes. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That is the only way to resist, through putting on the armor of God. 1 Peter 1, 13 to 16 says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed that he's coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so also be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. You see, we are called to be imitators of Christ, just like this verse told us to be holy, just like Christ is holy. And in the part in verse 14, it speaks about a change that occurs when you accept Jesus in your life. So the question is, is your life before and after you have accepted Jesus in your life, different, or is it the same as it was? Also, it speaks about that there is a real reward eternally, which is earned for those who stand, for those who resist. The real usefulness belongs to those who stand and those who resist. I was um, listening to this sermon by John MacArthur, and he said this really interesting thing. He said and I quote him now, he says, when I was a student many years ago, I was part of a small group of men who went out to preach. Preach. There were five of us, at least three of them were better preachers than I was, but the three that were better preachers than I was didn't, re- didn't resist and in a terrible moral collapse went out of ministry many years ago. Are they Christians? Sure. Are they useful? No. And that's one thing that I want to ask for us tonight. You know, sure, are you Christian? Okay. But are you useful? Are you useful for the kingdom of God? What are you doing that is different from the rest of the world? If you look at other people in your life who are non-Christians, is your life the same as theirs? Or is it different because it's supposed to be different? You can be a Christian, but are you useful for the kingdom? And I guess if we refer back to Ephesians, we can see that Paul is telling us that we have to be on the defense. But the reason that we are on the defense as Christian is because that we are always on the offense. And what do I mean by that? I mean, if you are living every day for yourself, then you are not in battle. But if you are engaged in assault, assaulting the kingdom of darkness, you're going to have to know how to defend because you will be attacked As you attack, the more effective your offense, the more necessary your defense is going to be. And Paul understood this exactly, which is why as he was attacking the enemy daily, he found it impossible to only attack and not have a defense. So while the armor of God itself is defensive, the battle becomes difficult because we are on the attack. I'll explain to you a little bit about the the Roman soldiers and what they wore when they were going to war. They wore something called a tunic, which is very similar to a dress. You have two um, armholes and you have a head hole that goes on. And over this tunic, um, they wore a belt or a sash. And they needed to tuck the tunic into the sash or tie a belt around their tunic. And they needed to make it as tight as possible. And they did this so the tunic while they're fighting doesn't fly away or move around when they are in battle. And the sash could also be used to put your sword in. too. You see, the sash was a symbol of battle. It was a symbol of going to war. But more importantly, it's a declaration of you pulling in all your loose ends because you were headed out to war. And I find that really fitting because That is what Paul is pleading his readers to do. We are never going to win the spiritual battle unless we are ready for it. And that begins by pulling your loose ends of your life in. What are your loose ends? Bring them in. If you are content with the loose ends of your life, whether that's all the little sins, all the infrequent prayers, all the infrequent worship, content, with the, with the sins of your life, that makes you a bad soldier, that makes you a soldier that is not prepared for battle and a soldier that will be defeated. You are not ready. There is this Latin term called sinasaria. It means without wax. And I want to explain how this sort of phrase or this Latin term came about. Back in biblical times when they used to make pots, a pot, when they would make that back in the day, they would need to bake this pot. And sometimes when you bake a pot, it would crack. And when a pot is cracked, it can't be sold and it needs to be thrown out. But what happened is some dishonest people would grab these broken pots and they would put wax, they would fill the broken cracks with wax, they would paint it, and then they would sell it. But what happens is when someone buys these broken pots that don't appear broken, but when someone buys them and puts it on the fire or puts it on the stove, the wax melts and the pot begins to crack once again. And all you have inside the pot goes everywhere and falls out. But someone who is sincere does not have those cracks. They don't melt away when the hate is on. What are you feeling with yourself? We are all broken, but are you putting that wax that is naturally going to crack when it's put against the tough, difficult times? What is that wax? Is it the little sins that you were content with in your life? What is it that you are pulling a band-aid solution over that is only going to be broken when you go on the attack or when you need to go on the attack? When the heat is on, your true colors will come out. That needs those cracks need to be filled with Christ and Christ alone, because only Christ will not have you crack once again when the heat is on. My question to us tonight is: how badly do you want to win? Because most Christians lose the spiritual battle because they don't really care about winning. Was, um, there was a time when I was playing uh, soccer properly and, you know, I would turn up to training and I would, um, some of the players wouldn't, wouldn't be there. And then I would see them later and I would tell them, hey, like, why didn't you show up to training? And they say, oh, I, uh, I just didn't feel like it. And to me, I was like, that is a terrible excuse. Like, why aren't you showing up? You really have no reason. And I feel like that is compared to our Christian walks as well. Some of us are the same where we just say, oh, I, I don't feel like it today. I'm a Christian, but like my Bible, yeah, like I read yesterday. I don't really have time to pray. I'm, I'm really busy or, or, or whatever it may be. Right? As a Christian, you make time. To love God, you make time. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.4 says, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affair but rather tries to please his commanding officer the example that i'm giving throughout my message is that we are all soldiers imagine this with me right you're about imagine you're about to join the army and when you're going to apply for the army you tell them hey look i can I can be a soldier, but I can only work on Mondays and Wednesdays. You know, like, just try to work me around your schedules, but Monday and Wednesdays are my days, and the rest I, I just can't do. That's impossible. You, you cannot be a part time soldier. You have to be um, working 24 7. When you join the army, you are there 24 7. You do not pick your hours. But the thing is, some of us are part time soldiers. We're supposed to go into battle because that's who we are. You are a soldier and you are engaged in war every single day. We need to be committed to obedience, committed to fight the enemy in the power of Christ, committed at any cost. And as we're talking about the breastplate of righteousness today, we must understand its importance because it covers the most vulnerable part of the soldier's body, the heart or the chest. No soldier is able to go into battle without the breastplate of righteousness there. You can take a shot to the shoulder or to the, to the arm or to the leg, but if you get hit in the chest, if you get hit in the heart, it's serious. And that breastplate rep is a representation of righteousness. It's in the name. It protects us from arrows, from spear, from swords, from the attacks of the evil one. But we are protected by righteousness in our most vital areas. But what I want us to understand also is that righteousness is not gained through through self. It is a gift from God and from God alone. You can't make yourself righteous because righteousness means divine holiness. And as we know, our Bible, there is no one holy but God. Therefore, righteousness is only God given through our acceptance of him only. Isaiah 64, 6 says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We are all shriveled up like a leaf. Unlike the wind, our our sins sweep us away. Our righteous acts are like filthy rags. No matter how much you try to do, It will always be filthy rags compared to a perfected man that is Jesus Christ. You are made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross and unless he's your author, you will never possess that righteousness. No amount of man-made effort will result in righteousness. To be righteous is to be right with God. But we are also commanded to demonstrate righteous behaviour. A heart that is right with God, you see, the breastplate of righteousness protects your heart, and a heart that is right with God results in a life that bears fruit. And on the flip side, a common substitute for righteousness is self-righteousness, which is the opposite of what God desires. Self-righteousness makes a list and checks them off. You You congratulate yourself on how you compared with others. And the Pharisees in Jesus' day were masters of self-righteousness. But in Matthew 23, 27 to, to, to 28, Jesus had very harsh words for them, rightly. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous but on the app but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness for us to pursue righteousness it means we must recognize that we cannot please God in our sinful state we turn from trying to justify ourselves by our good deeds and instead seek the mercy of God because it's not through us Through biblical history we see that in the Old Testament, Men were declared righteous when they believed God and acted on it. And before the Holy Spirit, before the day of Pentecost, people pursued righteousness by keeping God's law, seeking holiness, and walking humbly with God. No one is justified by rule-keeping, but by the faith that enables them to obey God. And likewise, today, we are justified by the faith that leads us to Jesus. Those who are in Christ continue seeking God in order to please him because, again, it's not about you. When we come to faith in Christ, he gives us the Holy Spirit who empowers us to pursue righteousness for his own purpose. He commands us to walk in the Spirit, and walking in the Spirit means we live a lifestyle of total surrender to God. Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. There needs to be a process of continued examination in our lives. Is your salvation evident in your everyday interactions? because you are now responsible to work out your own salvation that has been given to you by Christ. Because true salvation imparts or leaves on you true righteousness in your life. There will be struggles along the way, but you are made a new being after your acceptance of Christ. The breastplate of righteousness is a representation of holy living dedicated to Christ. So if there are any unconfessed sins, any unrepented sins you are vulnerable and if you are hiding sin if you are spiritually weak and you decide to go on the offense to attack the evil without that breastplate of righteousness you will be defeated and sometimes as christians we come to church and you know we feel convicted to serve but every time we want to step out and take that step we decide not to and, and maybe that's because you are missing that everyday life with Christ. You are a Christian, yes, but are you useful? Are you in a place to be used by God, for him to grow you and put you in the plan for him? Because it is um, in the verse that we just read. Um, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. It is he who works in you to will and to Are you allowing him to work in you? See, sometimes we can be really motivated and we can be really challenged to be on the offense, but you cannot attack without having a defense. Put on the armor and it starts with commitment and it demands righteousness. Romans 13, 11 to 14 says, And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in um, dissension and jealousy. Rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. It's time for us to wake up from our slumber. The day of Jesus's return is closer every single day. There is a war there for you to attack. You are supposed to be a part of that. You see, I think, I think unconsciously we, we sort of have this feeling that, you know, we understand that Jesus Christ is coming back and every day obviously he's getting closer. But truly, if Jesus was to come back, by the way, this sermon is for me before it is for you. If Jesus was to come back, where are you going to be? Are you going to be satisfied with what you were doing for Christ in your life? Or are you living life based on what you want to do? Because by understanding God, you understand that this life doesn't belong to you. This life is not yours. This life is purely his and to to satisfy God. And if you have a lack of understanding of who Christ is, that seems selfish to you from Christ's perspective. But if you understand who God is, you understand that he knows everything about you. He knitted you in your mother's womb. That he knows your life and how it's supposed to be. Are you dedicating yourself to him to be useful or not? We need to be prepared. We need to be committed. You know, you may be excited about different things in your Christian walking. You want to study your Bible. You want to serve. But before embarking on that new chapter, you must have the breastplate of righteousness because nothing lasts without Jesus your own excitement, your own commitment, that goosebump moment you've had in worship one time and you felt convicted by something, if those aren't followed through your relationship with Christ then it's purely your own self that is trying to, you know, pick yourself up and motivate yourself and be like, you know, God spoke to me once, it's not going to work. It is through Christ that everything gets completed because nothing lasts without Jesus. And if your motivation is in anything else but him, in everything that you do, in your, in your work, on your social media, on your everything that you do, if the motivation is coming back to point the finger at yourself, think again, because your intentions might be wrong. Everything you do needs to point the finger back to Christ and say glory to God, not glory to man. Before you go out into the world and, and you attack the evil of the world, whatever that may look like in your life, make sure that breastplate is on. And when it says put on the breastplate of righteousness, it's referring to God, to put on God, to put on godliness, because he is your perfect righteousness. You see, we pursue righteousness when we pursue the character of Christ and desire holiness more than the flesh. We avoid the temptation to become self-righteous and when we understand that true righteousness begins with godly humility, Are you putting yourself under God or above God? Because Jesus said in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I feel bad when I look at social media and I see when I'm scrolling, you know, that there are all these businessmen and all these like really wealthy people out there that are telling you, you know, This is the way to get rich. This is the way to do this and do that. And I'm not saying their method is not right, but at the end of the day, your vision is wrong. Your vision will lead you to a worldly perspective, but if your vision is focused on Christ, it is leading to eternal life and a life that is fulfilled and a a fulfilling life. See, your calling in life doesn't change whether you're a garbage man or whether you're a doctor. The calling for your life is the same to become more like christ every single day heaven is the destination not the goal the goal is christ because the more you spend time with god you become more aware of your own sins and you become aware of your shortcomings i'll give you an example really quickly imagine a t-shirt a white t-shirt right and when you look at this white t-shirt you think that this is you know this shirt can't get any wider this is perfect and this is great imagine this is your life sometimes we are blinded because we can only see ourselves but when you compare this t-shirt to the purest shade of white there is on another t-shirt which is Christ you will then see the imperfections between the two colors that is when you Compare your life with Christ's. Is your vision only on yourself, what you want for your life and where you see your future heading? Because then you're going to have tunnel vision until you reach what you want. But you need to have tunnel vision to see what God wants. You see, it looks very similar because you may have the same sort of, you see a light at the end of the tunnel or whatever it is, you may see the same with both but it's about what you get out from the other side. Don't live a wasted life. The journey that you walk leads to something, and there is a reason why you were birthed for this moment. And you see, I had a really interesting uh, thought this week, which was um, I actually had a a conversation with Lydia about um, having kids, and we were kind of saying, you know, When we decide to have kids and whatnot, the world is only going to become more and more sinful every single day. Like why, you know, would you consider not having kids in such a a difficult space of time? And very fair question, but my answer to that was, God is the one who is the author of all things. And when he chooses to birth David, when he chooses to birth uh, Daniel, when he chooses to birth Ron, whoever, He chose you for a particular moment to do a particular thing. And if I say I'm not going to have a child when it is a commandment from God, if if he can provide a child for you, who am I to stop God's work in that child's life, right? Because that child is going to be birthed into something that he or she needs to do in the world to bring glory to God. And by me, saying no out of my own desires, not bringing that before God, but very logically making that decision, I'm stopping God's work on the earth through this child. And to bring it back, you are on this earth for a purpose. You are on this earth at this particular time, because in this generation, there needs to be something that happens through the world that you live in. Whether that's the the, the big The big view of the world, or or your small world, and your work, and your uni, and your whatever, right? To bring it back to kind of what we were saying, um, pride and self righteousness cannot remain in the presence of the holy God, and our understanding of God needs to shift away from Him only only being a forgiving God, but it needs to view him as perfection, as one who hates sin and desires for you to pursue righteousness through him. And practically just uh, finishing up, if I was to kind of give some guidelines for myself and for everyone tonight, it is firstly about seeking God through your Bible, through prayer, through fellowship, through generosity, walking in the spirit through what you read and understand and develop about Jesus and his character to allow him to refine you, as we just gave that example of the white T-shirt and him being the whitest shade of T-shirt. How are you kind of seeing your life in that sense? And understand that you will stumble because you are not perfect, but you get up again because it's not about what God can give me, but it's all about what can I give God, which is your whole life. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you for this time that we just had, Lord. And um, we pray that we can walk with you on a daily basis, Lord, that we can pursue righteousness, that we can pursue holiness, Lord, and that we can walk with you every single day, Lord, that you refine us, Lord, that sometimes it's a difficult process. It's a process that hurts, and it's a process that um, requires everyday living with you to become more like. Jesus, Lord, we just pray that you help us, Lord, that you um, let us be useful in the kingdom of heaven. We are born in this generation. We are born in the year we're born, in a time frame, Lord, to do something for your glory. You um, needed us in our mother's womb before time, Lord, and you chose this specific moment for us to live. Lord. We just pray that you use us um, and that we would... Um, Do everything that you call us to do, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the time. We thank you that you are a good, holy, righteous God, Lord. Thank you for this time. In your name we pray. Amen.